0: Our scripture reading today comes from Daniel 2, verses 44 to 45. This is the word of the Lord. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be destroyed be left to another people. It shall, it shall break in pieces all of these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks to be God. You may be seated. Good morning KSPC. Um I hope that you're doing well. Amen. Um, I really hope that as you came to our church uh, someone greeted you with a warm smile and I hope before you leave uh, someone makes an intentional effort to love you and to listen to your story. Uh, if you are parents sitting in the upper room I hope uh, someone gave you some caffeine this morning. <laughs> Last week, uh, we talked about the person and the identity of Jesus in the title, the Son of Man. Uh, It was a systematic theology looking at that term and discovering all of its implications for our lives. Today, we're talking about something else. so we are going to look at the reign of Jesus, the rule of Jesus Christ, and we're asking if God is fully God, if Jesus is fully God, fully man, and here to fulfill God's promises according to last week's sermon. Then what would life look like if this Jesus came to reign forever and ever in our world? Today's passage, if you remember, Daniel chapter two, uh, is when Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. And in his dream, there was a huge statue, right? And the statue was made of gold, silver, bronze, and then uh, clay mixed with iron. And it was broken by a stone that fell from a mountain. And it was not made by human hands. It fell upon the statue and broke it. And uh, the interpretation is that there would be four successive kingdoms, right? And so it would be Babylon, and then Medo-Persia. It would be afterwards Greek, and then Rome. And it would say basically that the the stone that fell uh, to crush the kingdoms is not just Jesus himself, but it's also his church. Uh, The new kingdom is the church of God. And it says that lasts forever. It reigns forever and ever. So here's a quick question for us. Is the church victorious today? Very confusing, right? Is the church victorious? Where are all the good Christian laws that should be coming from a solid Christian ethic that comes from a solid reading of the Bible? Where is all that? Why is the world mixed with more turmoil and anxiety than before? Is the church successful? It is, but in a different way. We're talking about, is the church victorious? And we're saying that the good news introduces us to a church and a kingdom that is upside down in four ways. And we're going to briefly talk about four things that make the church an upside down kingdom. And so it is very different from what we see in the world, the succession of Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome. And then now today the United States. How is it different? Repeat after me. Number one, the kingdom is victorious but against, but against a different enemy. Amen. The church is, according to this, uh, this rock, it says this stone was carved not from human hands, it, it originated from a divine source. And so the church is also alien to the earth. It's alien, right? It's different from its notions of kingdom and kingship, it's different in origins. Babylon and Medo-Persia and Greece and Rome and uh, America today are from human origin, and they have the same story. They fall, in, uh, they rise in power, uh, they defeat the next nation, and they last until they fall again. But the church, the church is like a, a meteor from space. It's not precious because it's made out of gold or silver or strong because it's made out of iron. It's precious because of its origin, even if it's just made out of solid rock. And it comes from out of town, out of space. Um, the only reason it's precious is because its origin is alien. The church is different from its origin. It doesn't shine. It doesn't sparkle. It doesn't have to because it is of God whether it looks victorious in the world or not. Do you get that? Amen. And so please don't despair, thinking, is a church successful in its mission right now? We covered throughout the whole uh, May to uh, August series, the mission of God. Is a mission of God proceeding? Yes, it is, even more effectively than before. How? In a way that's alien from the world. Not by conquering, but by serving and spreading the gospel. Jesus never said that the North Korean or the Chinese government will never overcome the church. Let's look at Matthew 16, 19. He says what? He says, The gates of hell shall never overcome it. Amen? So this is a spiritual warfare we're, not, we're, we're talking about. We're not talking about a legislative or a social or a cultural warfare. This is a spiritual one. That the gates of hell, Satan will not overcome this church, no matter how ordinary and weak it looks. Amen? And that's why we do ministry. That's why we keep on fighting the mission of God, because we know that the uh, the gates of hell will not overcome this, and not any political entity. A lot of you, I've talked with you, and and so many people said this that I'm not worried about revealing your identity. A lot of you have said you want to end communism. A lot of you have also told me a lot of you want to end capitalism. And here's my question for you are you fighting the right enemy? Are you in the right battle? Because the church will not join you in fighting communism or capitalism or government forms. Uh, The church is in a battle against the spiritual warfare, against the spiritual principalities and the powers of the world. Amen? And so, the church works quietly what does Jesus compare the church to? Like leaven in bread. Like the gospel is like leaven and bread. It works quietly for the salvation of the human soul. And so instead of ruling, we can serve because we quietly work to overcome the world. The church, we choose to move down when everyone moves up. We engage in downward mobility. When everyone's busy promoting themselves, we say, To God be the glory, and we hide in the shadow of the cross. It's a very different warfare that we are involved in. So, when are we victorious? The kingdom is victorious when the gospel is heard one more time, and one more soul offers his life to Christ, as Glenn did, as we heard in the testimony. That is the victory of the church. When one more soul commits their life to Jesus Christ. Amen. Our warfare is different. Do not be astounded when the church seems so weak and powerless. We are engaged against the principalities and the spiritual powers. And so, let there be victory in your life by the quiet victory of the gospel, allowing you to serve others with the good news. Amen? Amen. Number two, repeat after me. Our king reigns, but through a different administration. Okay, the kingdoms of this world, how do they reign? They value according to the gold and silver of the, of the statue and the, and the uh, bronze. Uh, we value, and the world values, kingdoms that are proud and powerful. Uh, kingdoms that are violent and kingdoms that are cunning and have riches, right? And I'm not just pulling this out of my hat. I'm getting this from Daniel chapter 4 and 7 and 9 and on and onwards. Daniel chapter 4, talks about the second dream of nebuchadnezzar right it's about the vision of the huge tree sorry this is a belshadar uh, it talks about a huge tree that proudly covers the whole world and daniel says this stands for babylon it's so proud it's so rich it's so influential that it covers the whole world and everyone comes to rest in it but there is a watcher who watches that tree and says that tree must be cut down because it is proud so we know that our king values humility amen and then Daniel chapter 7, it shows, what, four violent beasts coming out of the waters of the sea, the chaos of the sea. And it shows what? It shows Babylon. It shows, uh, it shows uh, Medo-Persia. It shows the fast Greek empire. It shows the vicious Roman empire. And all the same thing is said about them is that they are violent They have blood in their mouth or their claws. And then it compares it to the son of man who comes to bring peace and he doesn't engage in warfare. He just comes and sits on the throne. Remember that sermon? And so what we see is that God also values peace and not violence. In the chapter 9, it shows the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist, who is known for his cunning. Uh, His cunning allows him to persuade all these nations to follow him. And when Jesus comes, what it says about him is that the Messiah is known for speaking the truth. Cunning versus truth, right? Violence versus peace. And then we have power and pride versus humility. It is an upside-down kingdom. The administration is different. Jesus serves in a different way. And so our king, Jesus, is humble and not proud. I don't know how much of a comfort that is to me right now. He is peaceful and not violent. He is truthful, not cunning. He was a carpenter. He was born in Bethlehem. He lived as a Nazarene a very common origin. For younger folks, it's, uh, uh, it's like Superman's Clark Kent living in Smallville or Kansas, depending on which D.C. universe you like. Uh, but it's... An extraordinary supernatural figure living amongst the poor and the common. That is who our king is. And he lives amongst you today. Proud to live amongst you today. To call you his children, his sons, his, his, his daughters, his brothers and sisters. That is the nature of the king that we serve. We have never seen our president up close Well, actually, uh, this is the best place to actually say you might have seen our president, actually. Um, But none of us see their ruler. None of us see our king. None of us see the monarch that is in charge of our system. But we have Jesus living in us. He is that approachable. Our king hates it when a Pharisee says in the temple, God, thank you. I am not like the other sinners. Jesus hated that. But our king rejoices when a tax collector can't even look at God and he beats his chest saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's where Jesus is. Our king hates it when his disciple cuts off the ear of a religious leader who's trying to arrest Jesus. But he heals his ear saying, those who rise by the sword will, will fall by the sword. We have a humble king. Amen? I've been meditating on this for a long time and it gets juxtaposed with a lot of the conversations I have. Uh, A lot of the pastors and leaders around me, they ask me a similar question. They ask me, is the second generation ready to lead the first generation? They ask me that. And, of course, as part of the second generation straddling the first generation, I want to say, yes, we're ready. Yes, we are. We can lead the church. But here's the thing. I have to be honest in my own evaluation. What does 1.5s and second-generation Christians bring to the table as Korean-Americans? Because a lot of times we notice our Korean counterparts, they have radical service. They're they're up at 4 a.m., and they're serving until 4 p.m. at the church, and no one pays them. And and it's hard to say that, that we should do that because we have so much common sense. It doesn't make sense. We have no time. We have no energy. And so we can't follow the Korean side in terms of radical service, There's white churches, and they are known for precision, common sense, good structure and infrastructure, and and good decisions and leadership. It's hard to follow that. We have African-American churches, passionate, extravagant worship. And I keep on asking myself, are we ready as a second generation to lead the church? Why am I saying this? There's only one answer, and I think it's the best answer. If our generation would be humble, we can lead. Amen? When, when we're able to say, Father, we provide nothing, we have no merit, we are unable to lead apart from your grace and your sovereignty, those are the people that God uses. Not those who say, I have this ABC skill set and this ABC connection. Those are but dust before God. But God values those who know that they are broken and humble because he is a humble king. Amen. So this sounds maybe typical, but celebrate your weakness. In there, Christ has room to move in your life. And amongst us, that is how we serve KCPC in our humility. Amen. Number three. Repeat after me. We can enter God's kingdom, but with different membership terms. Amen. The kingdoms of the world are entered by contribution, by merit, power, uh, money, status. The Yellowstone Club of Montana, the last time I checked, and this was before COVID, it might have skyrocketed. They have to pay $250,000 for a membership fee annually. Uh, Very rich, right? Uh, any form of community that you look for in the world will ask you to contribute something. Longstanding, skill, academics being in the same neighborhood even. How do you enter the body of Christ and join the church? How is it? It's entered differently. Let's look at Mark 1, 14-15. Mark one 14 through 14-15, it says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming this, the same word, the gospel of God, the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying what? The time is fulfilled, is here now. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The only way to enter God's kingdom is to repent and believe in the gospel. Amen? And that gets rid of all ethnic boundaries, all racial boundaries, all gender boundaries, all class boundaries. It only invites you to repent and believe in Jesus. That's the only criteria. We enter the kingdom of God, in other words, by repenting, by forfeiting my power, right? Let's look at Mark one seventeen through 18, and then 19 to 20. And if you look here, like, Jesus calls, and automatically the fishermen drop their nets. That's like letting go of your job, right? And also, the next verse is even worse. In verse 20, they leave their father behind to follow Jesus, In other words, there is a radical departure from how you lived your life before and how you live afterwards. Membership is radical but easy because something changes from the inside out. Repent and let go of your way of life. In other words, leave your nets to follow Christ because how you live and eat in the kingdom of God is different from the way that you survive here. It's very different. Here is a litmus test to test yourself, to see if you truly repented and trust in Jesus Christ. Are you excited to see if you believe and repent? Amen? Uh, Let's see Matthew 7, 21-23. I want to ask you, does this passage scare you? Jesus says, what? Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will come into the kingdom of God. And they'll ask me, what? We did A, B, and C for you. Like, we did all this. Why aren't you letting us in? And that used to be the scariest passage in the Bible. Until you really understand the gospel, then it's very different. How is it a source of joy for us? Because, listen to this. Those who are damned say, but I did X, Y, Z, let me in. They think their works can get them in. And Jesus says, I never knew you. There was a lack of a relationship. But for those who are saved, what do they say? When did we ever clothe you or feed you or give you water to drink? And like, they know they don't have merit. They know that their life didn't have enough good works to get them into the kingdom of God. They are broken. And Jesus says, whenever you did this, whenever you fed a child, you did that for me. And so one gets in by lack of merit because they're covered by the merit of Jesus Christ. And one is denied entry because they think their works are sufficient. Because they didn't understand the key to entering the kingdom of God. And so how do we know, how are we confident that we can enter the kingdom of God? If this verse does not scare you, because you know that you have nothing to offer that can get you into God's kingdom... You are brother and sister. You are already in that kingdom. Amen? And so the terms of entry are different from a kingdom of the world. Don't contribute. There's nothing to contribute but your own sin that made Jesus' death necessary. Don't fight your way in to try to merit your way in. God invites you by sheer merit of his son alone. Those who understand that can look at this verse and say, yeah, I had nothing to offer anyway. Thank you for the blood of Jesus and your promise and your goodness and your character. You are the reason why I can come in. Because you said so. Because you said so. Don't let this verse scare you anymore. Amen? That is the upside down kingdom of God. Where God alone gives you the merit to come in. That's why we have assurance of salvation. He invited us. The man in the middle cross invited us. That's all. The last point, repeat after me. We serve the kingdom, but with a different team. Uh, I used to remember dodgeball back in elementary school. Always chosen last. Uh, I had big bones. (laughs) So uh, easy target. I didn't offer much. Uh, They didn't want to be a team with me. Jesus should have chosen the elite. He should have chosen someone way more qualified than me. But what does he do? Uh, in Ma- Mark chapter 1, verse 19, this is who Jesus calls fishermen from Galilee. He calls James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Uh, These two are so hot-tempered that later they have a uh, a, a nickname called the the Sons of Thunder. Why? Because they said, God, this town didn't accept the gospel. Rain down fire from heaven on them. Like, destroy them. They were that angry. They were that uh, cruel, even. And listen to this. And Jesus says, no. We see in there that even the disciples of Jesus, the beast of power, violence and anger and strength is coming out even amongst disciples we try to live according to the world but after jesus died and rose again from the dead james became the first martyr to die for the gospel by the sword the first martyr who was the most violent before he really knew the meaning of jesus's cross how did john die Uh, A lot of you might not have known this, but it is most commonly known that John, the son of Zebedee, was John the apostle who wrote the book of John. And he is known as a what? The disciple of love, who loved everyone, who loved Christ so much that he is the most gentle author of the Bible. How did two hotheads die for Christ and live for Christ in the most humble way? Because Jesus chose them. Amen? Because Jesus chose them. Think about this. How did hot-headed James become a martyr? How did Peter, a fisherman who died upside down on a cross, become the leader, one of the most influential leaders of the church? How did that happen? Let's go to the Bible. 1 Corinthians one to 26-31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Imagine receiving a letter like this. <laughs> Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. You're just fishermen. You didn't study too much. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, listen to this, if you have any lack or any emptiness, if you have lack of education or standing or nobility, listen to this verse. Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom of, from God, he became righteousness for us. He became sanctification and redemption for us. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. That is a dream team right here. Who is it? empty shells of people who have nothing to boast, but who say, Christ fills me with everything I need every day. That's exactly who Christ works through. All of you are overqualified. <laughs> That's our problem right now. But if you are able to call yourself, I know, I know this might sound like self-hatred, but listen to this. If you're able to say, God, I am foolish. God, I am weak. God, I am low and despised. You are the person that God wants to use. So, we boast in the Lord because we have been called. We have been called. Not Congress, not the White House, not the Pentagon, not Harvard or MIT. We are the humble but mighty church that has been called to reverse influence the world. Right? Who are these amazing people? I chose the following names, not because it's accurate, but because it's the most common names in our church, so no one's going to get offended. Who are these people? Lonely Daniel, who has a nice job, but doesn't know if anyone will ever truly be his friend. Tired Esther, who knows that taking care of three children leaves her with no energy to succeed in life. Depressed David, who doesn't know if there will ever be an end to his suffering, or divorced Sarah, who no longer dreams about having a family after her traumatic breakup. These are God's people. Quietly and skillfully, God uses these people and nobody else. He fills them with the Spirit. He covers them in His blood, calls them precious, He empowers them with the gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What lack do we have if we are in Christ? Amen? He calls us. He gave gave us the blood of Jesus Christ. He gives us the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit. He gives us all his resources to evangelize, not just to survive. What lack do we have? We are the team of God. That is the upside down nature of God's kingdom. So, look at the person next to you. Really, do it. This person is weirder than you think. (laughs) And, now the laughter is going to stop. Look at yourself. You are weirder than anyone in this room will ever know about you. You know, you know, you know, you know. But God loves you. And he chose you. And he brought you. And he called you his beloved church. And he will use you for the rest of the days of your life. That is how we can say the church is victorious. Amen? We will not make too much noise in the world. (laughs) I'm sorry. And we will not... Flip over government structures. We will not win in advocacy all the time, but we will carry through with the gospel, with the weak people that we have amongst us. All of you are precious and valuable. None of you are too strange for Jesus. And you can come to him today because he is an upside-down king.